0: It is a delight for us this morning to have Bob Glan here. I have shared with you before that uh, there are missionaries both that we send out as a local church, also missionaries that we partner with other local churches. And that partnership puts us in union with several churches in Northern Virginia, and including one over in Annapolis. And one of those churches in that consortium is Cherrydale Baptist Church up in Arlington that has been faithfully proclaiming God's word for a long, long time. And one of the Men who has been on staff at Cherrydale is Bob Glon, 27 years on staff as missions pastor and then executive pastor as missions pastor. Had the opportunity to lead a lot of missions trips, and uh, apparently that was not, that just sort of started you on this because in 2015 uh, he stepped back from pastoring there and went to Ethiopia, he and Tanny and have been serving the Lord in Ethiopia, um, training pastors. He'll give you an update on, on the ministry, but just doing a great work in helping the local church throughout that region uh, in, in building and growing disciples. And so, Bob, it is our privilege to have you here to give us both an update and to preach the word to us this morning.
1: Good morning. Good morning. It's a delight to be able to be with you, to worship, just uh, enjoyed the worship so much. And baptisms, always encouraged to hear the stories of how God draws people to faith And speaks to them, once they've come to faith, to follow him. And what a a tremendous testimony this morning. Uh, Well, it's a privilege to be able to be with you, share just a little bit about our our work, uh, and also share the word. Uh, So we lived in Ethiopia, as Doug said, just uh, about three years now. And we live in Addis, but we travel to the countryside as much as possible. This is in the northeast. It's during the rainy season, so the river is a little bit higher. Uh, but it's just beautiful everywhere. And uh, we, uh, I would say, Ethiopia, Batam in Wadalen, which in Amharic means we love Ethiopia very much. Um, So we're learning Amharic, but appreciate your prayers as we continue to learn. We know just a little bit so far. Uh, And so... The primary ministry I have is training pastors and other leaders. This is an example of a training in Banga, about a day's trip uh, southwest of Addis. Uh, I usually train 20 or 25 uh, at a time, uh, and then I come back with other trainings. Uh, During the training, we have them meet in small groups and look at the scripture regarding specific topics Uh, And as they study those topics, then uh, they report back and we discuss as a group. I guide them in in, uh, identifying key aspects of evangelism and discipleship. We use uh, charts on the board. We use motions to make it very simple and reproducible so that they can train others. We're very encouraged. Uh, Reports we've received ongoing of how they've been training others and reaching out in their communities. During the training, we have them practice, as I said uh, what they're learning, here's just an example of uh, them sharing their testimony and practicing how to communicate that in a very clear, simple way. Uh, we also have them go out in the community and practice, sharing their faith. Uh, and so this is a couple guys sharing uh, how they had gone out the prior day uh, and shared their story and God's story. And we often hear uh, people coming to faith even during uh, the training time, but it gives them an opportunity to practice, but also trust God uh, what he can do. Uh, This is an example of a a leadership training I've offered. This particular one was for two years. Over several months, I would train a week at a time, and then invite them back to Addis to train in theology and ministry skills in order to help them go deeper in understanding uh, God's truth and to lead their church uh, and to multiply. After I do the initial training, uh, I come back with discipleship training, Muslim evangelism training and this leadership training uh, as needed. And uh, when I come back, I hear just amazing stories of what God has been doing. Uh, For example, the first group that I showed you in Banga, uh, when I was back visiting them, I heard the story of a woman uh, in this village who was paralyzed on one side. She is from a Muslim family and her family had taken her to the Imam and he couldn't do anything. Uh, They had taken him to the Orthodox priest and he couldn't do anything. They took him even to the witch doctor and the witch doctor said, there's nothing I can do. But the imam then told them, take them, take her to the evangelical church. Have them pray for her. He said that, go to the evangelical church. And they did. And the pastor prayed and in God's grace, he healed her. Uh, We see this over and over again where there are miracles. God is working like we see in the book of Acts in unreached areas just to show his power to draw them to faith. And so she And several of our family members came to faith, and they're now involved in that local church. So uh, we appreciate your prayers, uh, and we praise God for his grace and what he's doing through miracles and also visions and dreams often with Muslims to draw them to faith. Then I have chosen three particular regions to go back on a rotating basis every three months to coach and hear stories as with this small group uh, of pastors, and, and then to bring back other trainings as they need just to encourage them and help them develop. Uh, one example was I met with um, two pastors just the month before I came back. They had planted house churches, each of them in neighboring villages. And so I said, if, you, if I bring leadership training back and train you, will you train your leaders? Oh, yes, we will. So that's the kind of thing they're doing. This is an example of um, the one pastor on the far left in the white jacket. He trained the guy that's the tallest, the one in uh, the tallest one in the red shirt. And that he trained four others, uh, leaders in his church. So this is the kind of multiplication that we're seeing and we encourage so that they can reach out uh, more effectively to their communities. Uh, I've been going also to Kenya and Tanzania, uh, providing the same training and following up with pastors. Uh, here is a visit to Tanzania, and this is with actually my brother who oversees East Africa for our mission. Uh, meeting with pastors that have been trained, and we will be going back next month providing additional training. Uh, This fall, Lord willing, I'll be going actually to Niger for the first time. So appreciate prayers for those travels as well. This uh, is an amazing experience. We had uh, last, just before Christmas, the, uh, the leaders in the white shirts, they had been trained, and they reached out in the Turkana region. They live in these little homesteads sprinkled all over the desert, because they have so little vegetation to provide for their livestock. And so they had gone from homestead to homestead, shared the gospel, uh, as people came to faith and met in small groups, and then they invited them to a first worship service when we were going to be there. This is the first worship service. And to see these Turkana believers worshiping God together was just amazing. So we praise God for his grace in drawing people to faith, uh, and then the worship uh, that they have together as they plant these churches This church was meeting right under the tree. That's how many of them meet until they can have a building. And uh, that doesn't stop them. They just had a a wonderful time of worship. And then this is the first time that they were even collecting an offering to help with some of their expenses. So everything happened at first that particular day. So uh, thank you for your prayers, and we praise God for his uh, work there. This represents uh, just uh, several leaders. The one on the left is my translator who goes with me and translates um, in the meetings and also written materials. His name is Sega, uh, and uh, so appreciate prayer for him, but also the others, they just represent the idea that I'm praying for leaders who will not only catch the vision and train those in their community, but they will have a vision to take this training to other regions so that over time I'll be able to turn it over more and more to nationals. So this represents three leaders I've trained, and we're just looking for those leaders that will take it in other regions. The last slide is my wife's ministry. She worked with a preschool that began providentially uh, the first year that we were there. Uh, she works with, uh, as a volunteer with an organization that cares for very, very poor mothers. Many of them had been selling themselves uh, just to make ends meet. And so they're providing a place for their children so that they can have a healthy income and training them as needed. Uh, and they've seen several of these mothers come to faith. Uh, And so my wife, having nine years of preschool teaching experience, is using that, coaching the teachers, and they're, in fact, just last week began their new school year. So um, please appreciate prayer for the preschool, for these children and their mothers who are growing in faith, and others who need to come to faith. Again, we just thank you for your partnership and prayers. Uh, We're so grateful to be able to serve. As we look into the Word, let's bow before the Lord. Father, we are here today because of your grace. We've heard testimonies this morning of those who have been drawn to faith or publicly proclaiming that uh, through baptism. And thank you for the Holy Spirit's ministry in our hearts to teach us, guide us, correct us, form us into the image of Christ. Thank you for the transforming power of your word. And so we just pray as we worship through your word this morning that you would speak to our hearts and give us insights on how we can honor you our lives, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor almost 30 years at Westminster Chapel in London. He said, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Thomas Shepard was regarded as one of the foremost Puritan ministers in the 17th century. As an example of his influence, a plaque at Harvard University records that it was in consideration of the solitary effect of shepherd's ministry that the college was located in Newtown, known today as Cambridge, Massachusetts. He said when he was invited to speak about, um, to the church about the wonderful things God had done in his life, he said, quote, there are times in my life when I would rather die than pray. Prayer is often difficult. Prayer we, can, we struggle with. Uh, Why do we struggle? Well, for many possible reasons. Perhaps we don't know how to pray. Perhaps we don't know what we should pray for. Perhaps it just seems overwhelming. Perhaps we're so busy about good things that we don't have time for prayer. We know it's important. We want to pray, but we just don't find the time. So whatever our reasons for struggling with prayer, we want to look at Jesus' model prayer this morning and what he has to say to us about prayer. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15, Uh, and I'm going to begin with verse 1, because in this section, verses 1 to 18, he's addressing a theme of what is our motive in prayer. He says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And then he addresses giving to the poor and addresses that. Be careful about your motives in giving to the poor. That important practice, but our motive can ruin it. Prayer is what we'll look at. And then after prayer, he addresses the issue of um, of fasting and the importance of fasting, but we have to be careful about our motive in fasting. So whatever these practices are we have in our faith, let's look carefully at our motive. So jumping in, verse 5, we'll look at motive relative to prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So when we consider prayer, we have to think about what is our motive. These uh, hypocrites, Jesus calls them, are the Jewish leaders, scribes and Pharisees. They had certain times for prayer each day that were designated times for prayer, and they would just happen to be in the synagogue or on a street corner at the time of prayer. And so they would just raise their hands and start praying out loud to God. And Jesus says, they're not really praying to God. They have the reward in full, that is the recognition of other people. So Jesus' instruction is, when you're praying, go in to your inner room, have a private place of prayer, so that you're not in the position of being distracted, or your motive is not for other people to see it. Now there's certainly a value of a private place to prayer because it helps you focus and be undistracted uh, in your prayer. Uh, But we have to be careful about our motive when we come to prayer. What What are we looking for? In fact, it says that it's our, we will receive a reward from our father if we're seeking him genuinely and not looking for the recognition of others. Now, this is contrasted, this private prayer is contrasted to corporate prayer. Certainly, corporate prayer is commanded and encouraged in Scripture. We see the example of that in Acts 2. We see Paul giving instructions for corporate prayer. But even in corporate prayer, we have to be careful about our motive. I know I struggled, particularly as a young believer, when we were in a group setting and and we were praying. I often was so distracted because I was thinking about what other people would think about my prayer instead of thinking about what God wanted me to pray about instead of focusing on him. So whether it's privately or corporately, we have to be really careful about our prayer. Now we might think, well it's hard to find a place that's quiet and private. Um, An example of Susanna Wesley, John Wesley's mother, Charles Wesley's mother, she had ten children. And uh, the story about her is she raised her children. She was the uh, she was the caregiver her husband was often away she homeschooled them uh, they were always around and what she did was she would take her bible in her favorite chair and just in the middle of the room she would pull her long apron up over her head kind of like a tent and her children knew when mama pulls the apron over her head we don't bother her she was not to be disturbed unless it was an emergency and she would spend time in prayer and in the word right there with their children around, but that was her quiet time. So whatever works for you. And you know, it's actually, uh, sometimes I think it's a good thing for our children either to see us spending time with God or to know that dad or mom is often in the room praying to God so they know it's happening, but you want to be careful that you're not doing it for the sake of others seeing it, and you want to be careful that you're in a quiet, private place so that wherever it is, you can be undistracted. I heard somebody after the last service told me, and she was going out the door, He says, my place is the bathroom. <laughs> when I go in the bathroom, I close the door, and I just stay in there and have my devotions as long as I want. They know I'm coming out when I'm ready. <laughs> so wherever, whatever works for you. So first is where you pray. Be careful you're finding a place to pray that you can be undistracted before the Lord. Uh, And then he contrasts, not just with the scribes and Pharisees, but in verses 7 and 8, the contrast is with the Gentiles. So the Gentiles, they struggled with prayer because they used lots of repetitious words. Same thing over and over, thinking that more words would would get the attention of God. They also had many gods, so they were saying all the names of all their different gods so that hopefully one of them would hear and answer their prayer. Jesus says, don't use meaningless repetition. It says your father already knows what you need when you pray, uh, and so uh, we want to be careful. We're not just using words, thinking of flowery ways to say things. God just wants us to be just like a child with a with a parent. He wants us just to be open and honest with Him. Uh, now, this does not mean that we don't pray more than once about the same thing. The repetition is vain repetition. It's not bringing the same request. Jesus in the garden prayed three times that the Father might take the cup from him if it was his will. And it wasn't his will, but Jesus prayed that three times. That was so heavy on his heart. Paul received a a thorn in the flesh from Satan. Whatever that was, he prayed three times that God might remove it. God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. But he prayed three times about the same thing. So God wants us to keep coming to him. If we're burdened about something in the morning, we bring it to God. If we think about it, Uh, An hour later or two hours later, and we're tempted to worry about it, bring it before the Lord again. God wants us to keep coming to him, but to focus on bringing our requests, not thinking about the words that we're saying to be really flowery um, or um, just repeating the same thing, hoping that somehow repeating the words will make a difference. It's just being very simple and honest with our Father. Uh, And then, so Jesus gives a very clear, simple model for prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and I've, I've ta- titled this Priorities for Daily Prayer because we're going to see that that this is a prayer that we should use daily. Uh, and the priorities for prayer, we're going to see that the first three requests are first on purpose. So let's look at them. First of all, uh, in, I'll read in verses 9 through 13. Jesus' model prayer, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil. Very short, simple prayer. Seven requests. Seven themes that should always be included in our prayers. And beginning with, we're addressing God as what? Our Heavenly Father. So He's our Father. It's like a, parent, a child coming to a parent. Uh, and But He's our Heavenly Father. So He is the sovereign creator, Lord of the universe, but He's our Father. And it's interesting, it says our Father. So whether we're praying this privately or whether we're praying it corporately we often will uh, say this prayer together uh, it's our father we're thinking of ourselves not just ourselves but thinking of ourselves corporately as a body our father who art in heaven and then the first request hallowed hallowed be your name hallowed is a, the root word is holy may your name be honored and May it be holy. Now, we know God is holy, and he he can't become more holy. But the idea is, may you be honored. May you be glorified. May you be held as holy in my life and in our lives. So, Lord, whatever I do, whatever we do, may we see you as holy, treat you as holy, and honor you. Second, may your kingdom come. Now, Jesus reigns in our hearts uh, and and God's kingdom is in heaven and he reigns there. But there's a day coming, we know, when his kingdom will come to earth. Jesus will reign. And so our prayer is, Lord, may your kingdom come. We look forward to that day when your kingdom will go, come from, earth, from heaven to earth and you will reign. We will see you face to face and worship you then. What's well, interesting, uh, there are a number of things that, will happen before the end comes, before his kingdom comes. Matthew 24, Jesus is, is identifying a number of those things. But in Matthew 24, 14, it says, this gospel of the kingdom will go out to all the world, to all nations, and then the end will come. So that specifically is something that will happen before the end, before the kingdom comes, And so that should motivate us to want to be a part of seeing the gospel go to all the nations. There are still uh, 7,000 unreached people groups. There are billions of people, over 3.2 billion people who they consider uh, have not heard the gospel. It's a massive uh, number of people. And uh, in Ethiopia, there are 21 million, million that need to hear the gospel that are considered unreached. And we're targeting them. But as we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come it should motivate us to look forward to that day, but also to motivate us. Can we be a part of your work to reach these nations so that it will come as soon as possible? And we know God will bring that about in the end times through his grace, but he's doing it now. That's the command he's given all of us to come to the nations and make disciples. The third prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Think for a moment, how much of the time is God's will being done in heaven? All the time. The angels, those who have gone before us, worshiping the Father, all the time. And so our prayer is, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so our desire is that in my life, I would reflect the Father's will, but also other believers I meet with. That's why we meet in discipleship and worship. We want to grow together in faith so that his will will be done in all of our lives. Also, the more people hear about the gospel, the more the unreached hear about the gospel and come to faith, they will worship him. And as we disciple them, his will will be done in their lives. So all three of these requests should motivate us to worship, and it should also motivate us to witness and to missions so that His will will be done more and more in the lives of other people as well as ourselves. Well, as we pray these first three prayers, and that's the focus, the first part of our prayer, then we turn to uh, needs that are for us, but they're also for him. As he meets these needs, as we ask and he fulfills them, they're for us, but they also are for him because they honor him. So first... Uh, It says, give us this day our daily bread. And that's where he got the title for the message. The message is about developing a godly prayer life. But to make it real simple, it's what should be our daily prayer. We should be praying all of these things daily. And it specifically mentions daily in terms of our daily bread. Now, if we are not praying each day for a daily bread, maybe that means that we have it. Maybe that means that our needs are met and we don't feel like we need to pray that. You know, part of the reason Jesus wants us to pray this is not just because maybe we don't have it, but it's to recognize that he's the one that gives us our daily bread, whether we recognize that or not. And to, to want to acknowledge that, Lord, thank you for providing for my material needs today. The vast majority of people that we minister to, they pray this prayer because they need that daily bread. They are They are struggling. Many of them are very poor and they're trusting God for that daily bread, praying for the rain so that the crops will grow and the rest. So as we pray for our daily bread and our material needs, we also then pray, "Lord, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we have forgiven those who trespass against us." Interesting, the tense here is we've already forgiven other people. Lord, forgive us. So, how does this work? Well, first of all, we're it's We're believers speaking to our Father, so it's a believing prayer. And so God has already forgiven us, so why do we need to ask for his forgiveness? A couple of verses might help. Uh, First, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we have been forgiven in Christ if we trusted him as our Savior, and we should forgive others just as he has forgiven us. And then we have to put with this First John 1, 9, because there it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was written to believers also. So this is not about salvation. We've all been forgiven uh, in Christ, but it's about fellowship with God when, in a family. We're not going to break uh, a relationship in the family and send them away if, if we sin against one another. But we do want confession and asking forgiveness to restore relationship and fellowship. So in this, we're, uh, the believer, we are acknowledging that we've already forgiven others. We've followed your example. You've forgiven us. But, Lord, we know that we continue to struggle. And so continue to forgive us our debts. We're confessing our sins so that we can have good fellowship clean fellowship with the Lord every day. And then third, we ask for protection from sin and evil. It says, uh, do not lead us into temptation. Well, uh, we know that God doesn't tempt us. Let's look at that passage. In James 1, 13 to 15, it says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by anyone and he does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away by his own lust, and when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin comes from within. It's, it's our own tendency to disobey God and sin. And so we put with that 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, what God does for us. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation... So he's allowing the temptation, will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. So I believe what Jesus is saying in this is we need to address in our daily prayers uh, our struggle with sin. And we need to ask God, protect us when we're in temptation. You're allowing it, but we know you're going to give us a way of escape. Protect us in that temptation. And then it says, but deliver us from evil. I think this is not just addressing the inner struggle we have with sin, but it's addressing the outer struggle of the world and Satan's efforts, evil, to influence us and hurt us. And we're asking for God's protection, both from within and from without. So Jesus' model for prayer: uh, the last two requests relate to our physical needs; they relate to our relational needs with God and others; and they relate to our our spiritual needs. And these are themes that we should be bringing before the Lord all the time. I don't think that that Jesus gave these words that they have to be said in these words. These words are great. They're scripture. We can pray them just as, as they are, of course. But these are themes that we should be including in our daily prayers. All the other prayers of the Bible, they could be under the umbrella of any one of these themes. They expand on these themes. So this is a baseline for prayer. And again, notice it doesn't take a lot of time but it takes focus on these areas. And if we focus on the first things first, it will cause us to worship God and want to, want to be involved in his work to bring the word to others so that they will worship him. Also, it builds our trust in God. Later in the same chapter, uh, Paul, uh, excuse me, Jesus is addressing uh, the issue of the, the things that we tend to worry about our food, clothing, and shelter. And he says in verse 33... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things we tend to worry about, they'll be added to us. So just as as praying, Lord, hallowed be your name, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in, in my life and on earth, that's seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And as we pray those things first, then as we pray for our needs it builds trust in in a Father that will care for us. He loves to give us good gifts, the things that are best for us. So after giving us the model prayer, Jesus comes back and addresses this issue of forgiving others. Uh, In the prayer, it says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven others. Now Jesus says in verse 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive them then your father will not forgive your transgressions Jesus makes it clear that for believers if we've been forgiven but then we turn around and we don't forgive others then when we ask God to forgive us our sins for fellowship not for salvation but for fellowship then then we have we have work to do we have to go back And follow his example, as we saw again in Ephesians 4.32. We should be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. We need to go back and recognize the grace we've received. We didn't deserve it far more than anybody else that sins against us. So we need to follow Jesus' example and forgive. And once we've done that, then we can come to God in prayer and say, Lord, forgive us our debts. Jesus wants to make it clear this issue of forgiveness and fellowship, relationship is paramount. We don't want to miss that important aspect of our relationship with him whenever we're praying. When we're seeking uh, to forgive someone, sometimes the wounds are so deep, so serious, that it's very difficult to forgive. So I want to uh, read from this book on healing the wounds of trauma uh, and clarify what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying the offense didn't matter or or that we were not hurt by what the person did. Forgiveness is not being able to make some sense of why the person did what he or she did. It's not acting as if the event never happened. It's not dependent on the offenders apologizing first or changing their behavior. It's not letting those who do wrong avoid the consequences of their action. It's not letting the offender hurt us or other innocent people again. And it's not trusting a person again right after they hurt us. It's a process. Those are the things forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is giving whatever it is and how deep a hurt it is to the Lord, releasing that person in the Lord's hands. He's the one that can take care of them. Certainly, there may be consequences that that's another matter. But in terms of our forgiveness, we should release it and give it to the Lord. That's not something we can do in our own strength. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. It's because God has loved us, he's forgiven us, he's given us the life of the Spirit. The Spirit can enable us to love others when we can't love them ourselves but we have to take the the matter of forgiveness very, very seriously and allow God to empower us to forgive for our sake and for the sake of others. So as we look at this whole passage on prayer, it addresses motive in prayer, why we pray, where we pray. It addresses what we should pray and, in fact, when we should pray, that is, how often. It should be at least daily, at least daily, Give you just as an example, uh, I mentioned Susanna Wesley earlier. Uh, She determined uh, that she vowed that she would never spend time, uh, more time in leisure entertainment than she did in scripture and prayer. That's a good challenge. Think about the time you may spend in leisure and entertainment. Do you spend the same amount of time with, with God in prayer? That was her vow. But then she found she didn't have enough time in leisure and entertainment because she was caring for her family all the time, but still she decided, determined to spend at least two hours a day in prayer. So that's when the apron came up, okay? That's when she was alone with God, that enabled her to raise her 10 children. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, and uh, Charles Wesley wrote, wrote so many hymns, he had a tremendous impact on her children because she made it a priority to spend time in, in prayer. Actually, um, John Wesley published a letter in which his mom shared her principal rules for parenting, including the following, quote, The children of this family were taught as soon as they could speak the Lord's Prayer, which they were made to say at rising and bedtime constantly. (laughs) Um, So she was firm about it, and twice a day her her children said the Lord's Prayer, and they learned it, and it really influenced their lives. Um, Another example is George Mueller. Uh, During a time in England when most orphans lived miserable workhouses or on the streets, Mueller took them in, fed them, clothed them, and educated them. And through an orphanage he had in Bristol, he had as many as 2,000 orphans at a time, a total of over 10,000 in his lifetime. But here's the key. Yet he never made known the needs of his ministries to anyone except God. Only through his annual reports did people learn after the fact what the needs had been and how God had provided. In fact, in his journals, it says 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer, 30,000 of them, he said, were answered that day or that hour. That's how specific Uh, he prayed, and that's how God answered. Now, we may feel like, well, I'm not a George Mueller, but the reason I give you that story is to challenge us. He was a man of prayer, and He struggled in prayer. And he said that for the first 10 years of what he calls his life of prayer, he often struggled to get into the spirit of prayer. In other words, he felt he just didn't feel like praying. And it wasn't until he made a slight adjustment, we'll call it, uh, to his method that, uh, that he began to really engage with God in prayer. Here's a quote from him. The difference then between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible, generally spent all my time before, uh, before breakfast and prayer. Uh, what was the result? I often spent a quarter of an hour, sometimes a half an hour, even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of soul, etc., And often after having suffered from much wandering of mind for the first 10 minutes, half an hour, hour, I only then really began to pray. But, he says, I scarcely ever suffer now in this way. For my heart being nourished by the truth, being brought into fellowship with God, I speak to my father and my father and, uh, and to my friend, though vile as I am and unworthy of it, I speak to him about the things that he has brought before me in his precious word it often now astonishes me that I did not sooner see this point. So after 10 years, and God was answering his prayers during that time, but he struggled. The difference was he began to take the word of God and pray it back. So I, I bring that lesson he learned uh, to all of us to encourage us to use the word of God as a baseline. If you're not sure what to pray for, of course, the Lord's Prayer is a base, start, starting point. Just take any scripture, pray that back to God, and ask for God's will to be done in your life and others. Um, There are, as I mentioned, there are 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. There are over 33 in Ethiopia, representing 21 million people. Uh, And God has sent us there to uh, do what we can to train and reach out. But I bring this uh, teaching to you this morning to encourage you, the same thing I'm encouraging myself. As I come before the Lord, to focus first on worship to Him, praying for his name to be honored, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done in my life and life of others. And that fuels, I I see God's heart more and more as I pray that, and that fuels me to be even more uh, involved in ministry. So I encourage you uh, with that challenge as well this morning. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus finishes this chapter with the command, Seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all the things we tend to worry about. They will be added to us. God will provide our needs. Let's stand and say the Lord's Prayer together in whatever version you've memorized it. Uh, If you know it, if not, you can look on the front of your bulletin. It's printed there. Uh, And at the end, we usually have a benediction that was added to many of the versions of Scripture. It probably wasn't in the originals. It was probably added, but it still is a good benediction, so we'll include that, okay? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.